welcome to episode six of Parkour Ed, the English language podcast that explores the lives of teachers at the Lycée Français de Singapour. My name is Colin Daly, and over the previous five episodes, I've spoken with several colleagues who have walked many different paths to finally arrive at LFS. Many of these colleagues are native French speakers and were gracious enough to use English so that those non-French speaking members of the LFS community, and there are many, may get to know their colleagues, teachers, children's teachers, and all of our neighbors. You know, since the late 1990s, which saw the arrival of the LFS campus in its current location, the neighboring community of Serangoon Gardens has become more and more French due to French families settling in to be closer to the school. This has had an effect on housing costs, shops, restaurants, the local Serangoon Garden Country Club, as well as the normal flow of road traffic. French children on bicycles and push scooters have forced many local residents to alter their previous driving habits. French shoppers have also given locals a new taste for bread, pastries, espresso, and dare I say it, even cheese. Little by little, the LFS community in Serangoon Gardens is becoming more Singaporean and the local community a bit more French. If this is the first time you have listened to Parkour Ed, I hope you'll enjoy it. If you do, consider sharing it with a neighbor. Previous episodes may be found on soundcloud.com or just Google Parkour ODOK7. That's P-A-R-K-O-U-R-E-D space O-D-O-K-7, which in French sounds like audio cassette, the French words for audio cassette or cassette tape. Tricky, huh? Today, I wish to share with you the comments of several students about Mr. Seller, an English teacher at the LFS. Mr. Seller, who will be retiring at the end of this school year, has been teaching English and coordinating the high school Model United Nations Club and Simon Conference since 2007. He will be missed by all. Let's hear what his former students had to say. Hi, Mr. Seller. Hi, Mr. Seller. Hi, Mr. Seller. Hi, I am Severin Domar. Hi, Mr. Seller. 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 Um, I heard you were retiring, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for everything you've done um, for the Lycée Français and especially the Model United Nations Society. Tom here. I uh, just wanted to thank you for your years of teaching English literature and English language. It's Claire here from St. Andrews. Um, I just wanted to thank you for inspiring me throughout high school and pushing me to be where I am studying IR here in Scotland. I hope I'll catch you next year in Aberdeen. I, uh, Mr. Seller was my English teacher in Sagone and my MUN director for three years. Thank you so much for being such a great teacher and such a passionate MUN director. Lots of love from Rav. I just want to say congratulations on your retirement and thank you for all of the opportunities that you've given us. It really means the world. Um, I just wanted to make a video for you to wish you a happy retirement right here in the Chesapeake and 
Jonah, you might remember me from when we sent our first delegation um, to Farmune in The Hague in 2014. Uh, it's Leopoldine for the 2013 promotion. Uh, thank you for all your years of hard work and dedication in our English classes and for the Mobile United Nations at the LFS. Thank you very much on behalf of all the students for um, spending all those MUN years with us and um, I'll never forget that time. Um, I know that I wouldn't be the person that I am today if it wasn't for you. I remember so much from the troisième English classes, you know, learning about a sense of place, you making us write so many essays and really working on our style and, you know, of course, making it possible for us to attend all these MUNs and learning about what it means to be part of, you know, an, an international community, especially bringing us all the way to The Hague to go to Thymen. Um, and since I'm moving to Rotterdam next year, only a few minutes away from The Hague, I'll be thinking of that quite a bit so I hope you have an amazing time in retirement and can do all the fun things you want to do and I just wanted to say thank you from me from my family and from the Lycée Français. I'm currently in London aspiring to be a screenwriter finished my first feature film so I think you've done something right uh, so yeah enjoy retirement. And I'd like to thank him for teaching me two very important life skills the first one is teaching me all about MUN and the second one is equally as important and it is the fact that he has taught me to understand the Scottish accent because on my first day of school, my first day of English class with Mr. Seller, I, did, I could not understand a thing of what he said and at the end of three years working with him, well I could actually understand him. So. And I wanted to make this video for you here because I wanted to thank you for being one of the people that allowed me to be here. Your guidance was invaluable in MUN and you also pushed me to do really well in my IGCC exams and that is what got me here. So I wanted to thank you for being understanding and for always pushing me to do my best. And you were a wonderful teacher and I have a lot of fond memories with you. So I really hope that you'll have a very happy and relaxing retirement. And I really hope I'll see you soon. Um, and I just wanted to wish you all the best in what's to come. Uh, I wanted to thank you for all the, the time and energy you put into organising the MUN conferences and especially the, uh, the Simon MUN conference. They were a big part of, of my high school experience and, and a really important part of it too. So, um, all the best and thank you again. Um, I feel very lucky and grateful that you are here to coach us for our GCSEs, our uh, universities interviews, and for helping us understand the work of great Anglophone writers. Uh, thank you again for making English classes interesting and enjoyable, and I wish you a very, very happy retirement. We went to The Hague for the first time, and it was amazing. Um, and it was all thanks to you, so thank you very much. And don't want to be too cringy, but definitely helped us grow as adults. So, yeah, really had an impact on all our lives. Bye. Cheers. Once again, thank you, Mr. Seller, from me, your colleagues, the school and especially your students. If I've learned anything in my career, it is that no two schools are the same. However, one thing remains constant no matter where you teach. Our greatest rewards come from the students. Speaking of different schools and different school systems, I would now like to share with you an article from the May 4th, 2018 edition of The Economist magazine about post-secondary education in France. Enjoy. 
leaders. French universities. Non-selective nonsense. Students with shaky maths should not have a right to take a taxpayer-funded degree in the subject. Like organising a shipwreck in order to find out who can swim, is how Alain Perfitte, then France's education minister, described his country's non-selective system of recruiting university students half a century ago. Perfitte hoped to transform the system by introducing selective admissions. He failed and instead triggered the student uprising of May 1968. Now, President Emmanuel Macron, attempting a similar reform, has also brought students out on the streets. And the French hear echoes of 68. But he is right to try to reform a wasteful higher education system, just as Perfit was. France's model is inefficient, inequitable, and allows too many young people to sink without a chance. That model traces its roots to 1808, when Napoleon Bonaparte introduced the baccalaureate and decreed that anybody who passed it was entitled to a place at university. For many years, keeping that promise was easy, because so few held what was then an elite qualification. In 1950, only 5% of pupils attempted the baccalaureate. That has changed dramatically. These days, almost everyone takes the bac, and in 2016, nearly 80% of pupils passed it. Yet the entitlement has not changed. The BACs holders still have the right to enter the university of their choice to study the course of their choice. So youngsters with only rudimentary maths may sign up for a maths degree, and those who have little acquaintance with the past can read history. Since the costs of public university are paid almost entirely by the state and the fees are low, an average of €189 Euro a year, that's $227 in 2017, the results are predictable. Universities are overwhelmed. In the first year, thousands jam into lecture halls designed for hundreds. Professors cannot offer the support that laggards need. Most students drown. Many drop out after a year, but some struggle on, retaking exams again and again. In all, over 70% fail to complete a degree within three years. The same system prevails in Italy and bits of Latin America. Odd as it may seem, this Republican model of higher education commands great support in France. So Mr Macron is treading lightly in his attempts to reform it. He is not, heaven forbid, saying explicitly that universities should select students. The word is political dynamite. He is merely proposing that they should be able to require those who wish to study a particular degree to have some basic knowledge of the subject. But opponents of reform suspect, probably rightly, that any conditions for admission will lead to more stringent rules, which is why the students and the left are marching. The arguments for reform on efficiency grounds are obvious. Jamming up publicly financed universities with people who are never going to finish their degrees is not a good use of taxpayers' money. But the system is also unfair. It promises students a leg up in life that most of them will not get, and it induces them to spend a year, and sometimes several, pursuing a dream that is likely to be dashed. Even in terms of égalité, the issue that matters most to its supporters the Republican system fails. 
Measured by the share of people who get degrees but whose parents didn't, France does not do well by the disadvantaged, performing below average among rich countries. But it provides plenty of opportunities for the rich and clever, through an elite system that floats above the public one with which the masses must make do. Around 8% of students go to the Grandes Écoles, the highly selective elite universities with whose existence French egalitarians seem strangely comfortable. Around 80% attend private universities, and many who can afford it go abroad. France has one of the highest rates in the rich world of study abroad. In a survey by studyportals.com, French students were more satisfied with their time abroad than those of any other big European country. Foreigners studying in France were less satisfied than those in any other such country. Because the risk of a backlash is so high, Mr Macron is wise to move slowly. But if he is to make French higher education more efficient and more equitable, he needs to succeed in these first steps and then build something better. America is not a great model. Its system is highly selective at the top, not at all at the bottom, and has a huge dropout rate, the consequences of which are borne by the students who emerge with no qualifications but lots of debt. Britain's and Australia's system, selective universities paid for largely by graduates who are earning enough to afford the loan repayments and a low dropout rate, is probably the best on offer. But it will be a long time before France is ready for that sort of revolution. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sorry. Um, do you speak English? No, I don't. Sorry. Oh. Um, my car's broken down and I wondered if you could tell me where to find a garage. Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's wasted on me. I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. You don't speak any English at all? Not a word, no. It's one of those things where I wish I paid more attention in school, but, um... Excuse me, excuse me. Sorry. Do you speak any English? English? No. What's the problem? I don't know. I, I can't understand that. Hi. Uh, my car's broken down and I need to find a garage. No, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that at all. All right, well, thanks. Uh, uh, tell you what, if you go down that way, about half a mile, there's a village. Um, there might be somebody there that speaks English. Ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Deutsch, nein. Sprichst du Deutsch? Deutsch? Nein, nein. Nur ein oder zwei Wörter, aber ich bin nicht fließend. I'm sorry, could you more help? Yeah, sorry about that. Hey, you never know. Next time you're over, maybe we'll have learned a bit of English for you. Yeah, or the Deutsch, vielleicht. <laughs> yeah, that's very toll. <laughs> Thanks, anyway. I can speak English. <laughs> so can I. <laughs> Do you speak English? Big train BBC comedy. Before that, an article from The Economist on post-secondary education in France. I guess a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. It's important to have a sense of humor when working as a teacher. And I know that in spite of the fact that all teachers at the Lycée Français de Singapore can speak English, that doesn't mean people unfamiliar with the French school system can understand them when they're speaking professionally. For this reason, it's important for all teachers at the LFS to remember that we work for France. Hopefully, the article can spark discussion over the water cooler. This is the part of Singapore that feels like a little France because of all the French people living around the area. And this school behind me, the French Lycée, is the reason why. 
The private school, which holds kindergarten, primary school, and secondary school for children aged two to eighteen, opened in 1999 on Ang Mokyo Avenue Three. This area, well, it's close to school, so、um, I guess this is a number one thing, the reason why I chose the area.、Um, but、um, I have to say, otherwise, I would have lived more like in around Bukitima or in a livelier place. But you know, it's it's expanding. I mean, it's developing. So、uh, I like the Maju Mall behind. It's a very nice new little mall with a lot of different things、uh, for everyone. So I like that. Like Dolphin, many French nationals who came to Singapore with their families like living near the school. As of 2010, there were nearly 8,000 French expats living in Singapore. The French community in the area is so large that you will often hear a smattering of French as you walk along Ang Mokyo Avenue Three. Do you go to school? I go to school at the French school, the Lycée Français Singapore. So how do you get there every day? I get there at bike. Jean and his friend meet in the morning to cycle to school. Parents and children get around the area on bikes and scooters, and everyone seems to know everyone else. How about the French community here? Is do you visit often? Do you have a lot of celebrations together? Yeah, actually, quite a lot because、uh, you know when you、uh, I'm working with the French、uh, French schools, so I have quite a lot、uh, to share with the French families here. And we have French uh, association, uh, which is called、um, the uh, AFS, uh, uh, which offers lots of、uh, activities for French people. So、uh, you can share with French people. We, the French community、uh, is very active. You can go visiting some、uh, typical things of Singapore. You can play mahjong. You can have yoga lessons、uh, all together. So it's nice. We gather. Yeah, they're at the Serangoon Club Community Club.、Uh, it's half Singaporean, half French. We all gathered during the rugby cup. So every weekend we had、uh, we had we watched we were watching the games together. The kids were playing and we were watching the games.、Um, so yeah, French community tend to、uh, meet a lot during weekends and、uh, during the holidays. People go back to their home country or they visit the area, the, the region. But it's mainly during weekends and、uh, and at night we do a lot of、uh, we go to restaurants or we invite people over. We see local people in our daily life, but、uh, it's harder to mix. Harder to mix, but it's I guess it's、uh, same in every country. You know, Singaporean they they have their routine and they、um, uh, they yeah they don't they don't need us in in a way. Within 15 minutes walking distance of the school is the Serangoon Gardens Country Club, which is a favorite hangout of the French community. Emmeline visits the club about four times a week to swim and play sports with other French friends. The 39-year-old has been in Singapore for two years. So many French people around you. Ever forget that you are actually in Singapore? Um, yes,、yeah, sometimes I would say yes. <laughs> Does it feel like you are in France sometimes? Ah、uh, no, no, we can't say that because、uh, because first because of the hot, I mean the hot weather, because of the nature, and、uh, also because、uh, I don't know. I mean,、uh, it, well, it's different. We can't say that we are like in France,、um, but sometimes we forget that we 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 are in the uh, Singaporean uh, city or I mean English. Uh, 
speaking. It's just like we speak too much French, maybe. Martin, a French expat who has been in Singapore for eight months, also visits the club to meet her fellow countrymen. She takes her son there for swimming lessons every week, and her family eats at the club about three times a week. Do you live around here? Yes, I live about、uh, one and a half kilometer from here, so I can come by car with kids or maybe by bike or so. Is the fact that there are a lot of French people around here make it easier to live as well? Yes, it's easier because for kids, for example, you can arrange some playdate, or kids can come here, for example, at the club to swim together and to play. So it's nice for them. Is it a good place to meet other French people? Yes, it's a, yes, it's a good good place to meet French people. Yes. So even though Amokyo Avenue Three may not look like a French suburb on the outside, it is the focal point for French expats, thanks to the French lycée. That was an extract from a YouTube video entitled "France Invades Serangoon: Is This Singapore Part 2? It was published nearly five years ago on July 25, 2013, by SPH Razor. Much has changed since then. Our campus surface area and population has dramatically increased. The small houses near the school have nearly all been replaced by large. Single-family homes worthy of expat rental. There are several new cafes, boutiques, and restaurants which cater to the French community. Our school, not only larger and more modern, has also begun accepting more non-French-speaking students, and it offers world-class educational opportunities to learn in several languages. If you'd like to learn more about our school, please visit our website at lfs.edu.sg. The following interview with American music teacher Rick Smith was recorded in a public space. I hope you enjoy learning about Rick's parcours. Well, my name's Rick Smith, and、uh, I'm a musician. I've been here for 27 years since 1991. Here is Singapore, and.、Uh, Been、uh, a musician most of my life. I did other things in the, initially. I was a bricklayer for four years and never went to university until four years ago when I did my BA and then my MA after the ripe age of sixty. So uh, and uh, I teach at a bunch of schools. I teach at United World College and SOTA and La Salle School of the Arts and. The French school in Singapore. What was it like going back to school? Oh, was this、so、was、late. this was pretty well. It was、uh, it was hard to get into the the、uh, writing. You know, I was having to do a lot of writing, like、uh, and the tech that is involved in doing writing now is really different. You know,、uh, but you forget what it's like to actually have to write academic papers and. And do that kind of stuff. I had only done it in high school, but、uh, being sort of an avid reader my whole life, it, wa- it wasn't too hard. So, but I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the, the academic work. What brought you to the LFS? Well,、um, I guess it was a combination of that. My my BA was in music composition, and my MA is in something called arts practice and pedagogy. 
So being pedagogy, it's all about education. And I, I've been teaching on university level for uh, 30 or 40 years, but mostly individual small classes and teaching guitar. I taught at University of Alaska, you know, and then I taught at NUS and, and that sort of thing. So I've been sort of peripherally involved in education for most of my life. And uh, then after my BA and, you know, I, I didn't want to do a performance degree. So I went into the more academic thing and I, and I was like, I've always been sort of a, an academic sort of person anyway, you know, well-read and, uh, and, and I found that when I got into doing research and doing research on various types of pedagogy and this sort of thing that it was really fascinating. I enjoyed the writing, I enjoyed doing the research and uh, so if I hadn't done that then when I was asked to, um, to take the job at LFS um, I applied for it and if I hadn't done the degrees they wouldn't have taken me because they wanted somebody who had that thing and my, my degree says even though I'm not like a licensed French teacher, uh, it says pedagogy in the degree and they were like, oh, okay, pedagogy, you know, that's about teaching, you know, so it was a good fit and I had done a lot of research on different types of assessment and uh, some, I wrote my paper on something called blended learning, which is a combination of e-learning and classroom learning that work really well and I I had done some uh, pilot programs at, at LaSalle doing that, so I was kind of in that space, prepared for it. And do you speak French? No, I do not. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Well, do you speak I, any other languages? I speak fluent Mandarin. You do? Yeah. So. Yeah. How is it that you speak fluent Mandarin? If you, I spent... Now you said you did your undergrad when you were 60. 62, actually. 62, so very recently. Yeah. So uh, you just learned Mandarin on your own. I did. Um, in the 70s, which is dating me, I, I, I was living in Ohio, and uh, I was always fascinated with, with Chinese art. And uh, I met a, an older Chinese guy, which meant that at, he was 86, so he was born around 1890. And um, he's a master brush painter. And I was just, I was amazed by this guy. He also teach Tai Chi. And uh, so I went to his house every Sunday for a couple of years learning brush painting. And he said, if you want to be authentic, he, I mean, he didn't say it like that, but uh, if you wanted to really have the flavor, you have to, you have to learn how to write. And he didn't want to teach me to speak, but I copied calligraphy for two years with the brush which they call Malbeats. Yeah. And so then I, I left Ohio and uh, was playing, took a job in Alaska in 79. And uh, I didn't have him anymore, so I went into the language thing. I did a couple years of Chinese at community college. And then I was uh, uh, playing in a bar that was owned by a Chinese family from Taiwan. And they got really tired of me trying out my stupid Chinese on them, so they said, you need to come with us to Taiwan, you know, for Chinese New Year. And so I did that. It was like 83, 84, and uh, the place was fascinating. I learned more in two weeks there than I learned in years. 
you know, trying to learn Chinese in the States. And so I said, I spend a little bit of time just going back and forth. Every time I have a break, I just like get on a plane and go to Taipei and hang out for a few weeks. And uh, so one thing happened and another, you know, uh, and I, I just, I said, I'll take a year out and just go live in Taipei. And I sold all my stuff and, and went to Taipei. And then five years later, I was like, that was like 83 or 84. And I said, I guess I'm not going back. <laughs> and I was there until 91 when I came to Singapore. And what brought you to Singapore in 91? Uh, I had brought my band from the States to play at the Grand Hyatt in uh, Taipei. And some of my old friends from Ohio that had gone to Alaska with me to play. And uh, so I went back to Alaska and I said, I can get a gig in Taipei, you guys want to come? And they came over. So I had my band in, in Taiwan and we got an opportunity to come and play uh, at a hotel here in Singapore, which was the Westin, now it's the Fairmont. At a, it's called Somersets. And uh, we went there and played for three months, and we went up to Kale and played for four months. Then we kind of went our separate ways, and I took a job with a local piano player named Jeremy Montero, doing production, writing jingles, studio work, and just stuck around. My first daughter had been born, so it was a good place to be because I was, like, legal. Whereas Taiwan, you're always, like, in the gray area. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Rick Smith, thank you very much. Can you let us know you had any regular gigs? Anybody can come and listen to you play? Uh, well, I'm with my friend Richard Jackson at uh, Capella, Bob's Bar on Sentosa. And then uh, this for the next month, I'll be with Danella Ruggelli at Chow in, in Haji Lane. It's an Italian restaurant. She's Italian, great singer. So that's the main thing. Well, I hope I'll be able to come down and check you out, and some of our listeners may make it as well. Thank you very much for giving us your time. Sure. This has been Parcours Ed with me, your host, Colin Daly. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or neighbor. Previous episodes can be found on SoundCloud. Just Google Parcours Ed ODOK7 and you should find it. Our theme song was written and performed by Loris Marcel. I like to call it Lolobosa. Until next time, this is Colin Daly saying bye now. Mm-hmm.